Hello and welcome to this week's Ruby Shoes podcast, bringing you the very best of local entertainment across East Anglia each and every week. In this week's episode, we've the second part of our Halloween special, with Halloween, of course, just around the corner. Also a review of The Ungodly, which we were invited to last week by the Red Rose chain. And just to lighten the load, so it's not all spooks, we sprinkle a good dash of comedy in this episode with brilliant comedian Susie Ruffles, who's coming to West Suffolk later this month. But first, let's talk Halloween. It's tomorrow. Now, last week, if you missed the episode, go back and listen. We sent our brand new review viewer I own after Trinity Scarce to see how she got on around their ghostly maze and other Halloween attractions at Trinity Park in Ipswich. So go have a listen to that if not. Now, I fancy going along to this Ghost Stories by M.R. James at Otley Hall in Suffolk. Now, M.R. James wrote many of his best tales to read aloud to close friends by candlelight in King's College, Cambridge in the early 20th century. Since the early 21st century, Robert Lloyd Parry of Nunkey Theatre Company has been keeping the flame lit. You can see Ghost Stories by M.R. James at Otley Hall on the 5th and the 7th of November, either 7.30 or quarter to nine when it's spooky and dark. I do really fancy that. Now, tomorrow is Halloween itself, as I've said, and it's the last chance to encounter the Scare House, a Halloween scare experience at Drayton in Norfolk. Unleash your darkest fears at the Scare House, they say. Are you ready to step into a world where terror reigns supreme? Get your heart pounding and your adrenaline surging at the Scare House, the ultimate Halloween scare experience that'll leave you begging for more. Hmm, maybe not. I don't know. If you're brave, go along to that. Finally, though, how do you fancy the idea of a Halloween ball? This is on November the 4th. It's at the Granary Barns in Wood Ditton. Doors open at 7.30pm. So that's near Newmarket. Halloween costumes encouraged. Time for the Wood Ditton to dress up and get spooky, they say. Go on, full fancy dress or just wear black. Either way, it's going to be a hoot. Join them to dance the night away with a cash bar, a food truck and and music from 7.30 until 11.30pm. Now you can pay £10 each and show your support for the village by paying an extra fiver to contribute to future events or it's just £5 a head. So that's absolutely brilliant. That's the Halloween Ball, November the 4th at the Granary Barns in Wood Ditton. Now, last week, we went along to the performance of a brand new play called The Ungodly, which was being performed by the Red Rose Theatre at their base at the Avenue Theatre in Ipswich. And it's a beautiful Victorian building. And inside, the intimate setting was really atmospheric as soon as you sat down. The play by Joanna Carrick was about how Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General, came to be that self-edifying but equally quite terrifying tour de force, basically. Cast of four, they literally had you spellbound from the word off. So much emotion on stage and brilliant performances from all. It actually had you almost agreeing with the villages of Missley, Manningtree and Lawford that, you know, maybe these people were witches. It was crazy. I was literally thinking, what am I thinking? Stop thinking this. Such was the power of the acting. You really felt like you were living back in the 16th century with them. Well done to all of the cast and the crew there. Thank you. 
Now, if you're part of a show, a panto or directing a play, or perhaps you're planning a Christmas event and you'd like to be featured on the Ruby Shoes podcast, get in touch with us via our socials. Ruby Shoes podcast, tell us a little bit about you, what you've got planned, and you could well be one of our future guests on a future episode. Now, I promised you a lighter side for tonight's podcast. The first of our comedy guests is Susie Ruffle, who spoke to us ahead of her appearance at the Apex in Bury St Edmunds. You can catch her on Tuesday, the 28th of November. Susie, this current tour covers settling down without settling and becoming a non-mumsy mum. Tell us more. Tell us how you're managing to achieve that. Well, I wanted to write a show that was still me, but about sort of what has happened in my life recently. The kind of stand-up that I do, and any of your listeners or readers, if they've seen me before, will know that I do sort of observational storytelling. So I can't really help but talk about my life. So I wanted to talk about um, becoming a parent, and I wanted to talk about being a mum, and the different things that it's thrown up for me. But also, I knew that I still wanted to keep sort of I guess there was a fear that I would stop being me to a degree or, or become someone slightly different because of, because of being a mum, which I think a lot of parents sort of struggle with in that, that new bit where you're like, oh, God, what am I now? And so I wanted to write a show that was a little bit about that. It also covers, in quite a big way, the anxiety that I felt about becoming a parent. And then once I was a parent, this sort of anxiety that, to be honest, I thought I'd put to bed um in my sort of early 30s and then becoming a mum it sort of reared its ugly head again and there were sort of new anxieties that were kind of the same but kind of different about being a mum about the world that my daughter is going to inherit am I doing enough am I being a good enough person and yeah I guess that's the sort of through line of the show but a lot of the show is also about I mean, how I consistently embarrass myself, regardless of how much I try to be cool or try to do something nice. I'm just sort of consistently making a fool of myself. And I like talking about that sort of stuff on stage in the same way that I like talking about mental health, because I think sometimes, you know, not that I'm someone that's on the telly every week, but I'm on the telly a bit. And I think people sort of assume that everything you sort of like... You know, you go, oh, well, well, I I sort of always assume, I remember thinking, once I've done Live at the Apollo, everything in my life would just fall into place. It became this thing. I don't talk about this on stage, but this is sort of the honesty of, like, the the germ of the thought of how this sort of show began, I guess. I remember thinking, yeah, once I've done Live at the Apollo, everything will be great. That was the thing. And so for, I started to I did my first Apollo after about eight years of, since my first open mic night, so about six years of being a professional comic. And I thought about it, I would say most days, I thought about doing Live at the Apollo. I thought about what it would feel like. I became obsessed with it. And I knew I was on the list for a few years. You get on like a list before you get booked for it. And it's like, okay, they're watching you. You know, it's not happening right now, but they're aware of you. They're, you're in the sort of, you're in the mix, in the mix to some degree. And then when I did it, it was amazing. I had sort of one of the best gigs of my life and it was everything I wanted it to be. But the next day I woke up and I was still sort of me, anxious. I was still the person I was. I guess the same thing happened when I met my, my wife, who was amazing. I remember thinking, you know, once I'm, once I'm in love, once I've settled down, once I've got someone that I know loves me, everything will fall into place. And then similarly, when I thought, well, when I'm a mum, I'll know what I'm doing. Surely by the time I'm a mum, I'll know what I'm doing. And then of course all these things happen and you're just still you, just yeah. with a different 
sort of um, manual trying to work out how to. And so yeah. I guess that was sort of the germ of the show. Not that I talk about those specifics on stage, but that was sort of how the writing process began for me, where I wanted to talk about the fact that, you know, you, for me, I, I, you know, I, I've never got too far away from the girl at school that didn't have many friends. And that actually the, 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 the greatest thing about being grown up is sort of being able to go, oh, and I'm fine with that now. I don't need exactly. to start to these things appreciate who you are and you think do you know what yes. I, I i am different but that's a good thing people like precisely me that and i quite like precisely. myself now yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it and so this show in a way was sort of a, 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 a my, my, my brand of stand-up my style of stand-up is i always want people to leave happier than when they left i i take on some big topics i take on sort of societal issues to a degree. But my my real aim is that people really laugh. I want them to really laugh. My favourite message is when people say, my face ached after your show. <laughs> uh, and, and people often write that underneath. The, I always put up an Instagram picture of where I've been. And, that, and, and people write a lot about how much they've laughed and how much they needed to laugh. And that's my goal. Like, I, I, I want to tell you a story, of course, but I really want to make you laugh because I love laughing I love going to see a stand-up that I adore and just aching from laughing I think it's such a good thing it's such a good communal thing to laugh with a bunch of strangers oh, it's it so nice when you're when you're at a good comedy gig and everyone's laughing and you go to the bar there's a great vibe you know in the interval there's a great vibe where everyone's like oh we're all having this sort of cool time together there's no argy-bargy and people pushing in front of you everyone is it and, and, and that's really what I like to create and it's a lovely thing that so frequently uh, members of staff from theatres will say to me, oh, your audience is so friendly. Your audience is so nice. Every every single person whose ticket I've cut tonight has been super friendly and super nice. And so I think some sort of years of being on the road, and this is my fifth tour. I mean, but to put it into context, my first tour was uh, 10 dates, never playing a venue over 100 seats. So, you know, it's it's grown over the last, oh, I don't know, sort of six, seven, eight, eight years. But... It's, um, it, I, I love sort of creating a space where it's sort of super warm, super inclusive, everyone's welcome. And it's, it is just about laughing rather than, I, I mean, I love political sound up where it sort of wilds up the crowd, no care, have one moment of the show. But, um, you know, the, the kind of stand up that I, I love to do is sort of silly humour and, 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 and honest stuff. I think quite frequently the, the funniest stuff certainly to me is the stuff where you know it's true it's yeah. great hearing about people fucking up <laughs> like it's so funny <laughs> and people quite I mean, it so, with it that's what it is it makes them know, feel good and think it's, it's okay we've all done it we've all, we've done all done been it. there it's actually that's that dark secret i've held on to for so long i don't have to hold on to anymore because other people I, I, have done it as well exactly and it's great because i can keep the show keeps um evolving because I keep doing stuff. The other day, how embarrassing is this? I picked up my daughter from nursery. I said thanks to the girl who looked after, who's had her all day. The girl, I mean, she's in her 20s. She looks 15. And, and, and you know, this really young girl who works, and every time I leave my daughter, I think, am I leaving my daughter with a child? I don't think I am. I think it's fine. And I picked up my daughter and I said to the girl, thanks so much for having her today. Love you. Bye. And then I had to go, I'm so sorry. I don't love you. And it was, and there were parents looking at me like, ah, oh, weird. 
And even my three-year-old can pick up on the vibe. And I'm like, how am I still doing this? I'm 37. This isn't, I should have got should've... this together by now. But no. So I like to continue. So, so because of that, the show continues to evolve. And that's just, that is the joy about touring. So a show has, a show's never quite the same. Of course, the material's the same. The, the, the theme of the show is the same. But, you know, I was in, where was I on Saturday? I was in Bournemouth on Saturday. I got changed to a really nice mum in the front row. She'd recently also done her first holiday with a child. We had loads of funny back and forth about how awful it is. And that will yeah. never happen again. That's a one-time thing. And that's the joy, the thrill of live comedy. Like, I love doing telly. It's super fun. It's great doing the panel shows or doing stand-up on TV. It's enormous fun doing live shows like The Last Leg because you've only got one chance to get it right. But live stand-up, there's, there's nothing quite like it. You almost want someone to film the live stand-up because it's, it's there. I suppose live at the Apollo you are. It's interesting yeah. what you said about live at the Apollo because the number of comedians I've interviewed that have all said, you know, the pinnacle for them, the, yeah, you know, they've either right. not got to live at the Apollo yet or they have. And they said, actually, now I'm there. I'm like, oh, hang on. I, I, I need another live at the Apollo to be yeah. for because now I've got there. I'm sort of like, hmm, is that it? Yeah, well, what I, I do. It was precisely, I mean, I did love the Apollo and had, and, and it was great. Like, it, it was wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was 3,000 people all laughing at my jokes at the same time. It felt enormous. I came off stage, I burst into tears because I was so relieved about how well it had gone. It was amazing. And then, obviously, I had to create a new ambition, which was, oh, I need to host live at the Apollo, which I did last year. And then once I'd hosted it, I was like, which is lovely. I mean, what a thrill, a privilege. Again, a lovely gig. So, Sandy, what's next? What is going to be your next Live at the Apollo kind of benchmark? Have you got one or are you still searching? Well, do you know what? I've had a bit of a, uh, again, a breakthrough makes it sound very therapy. But I think that it's good to sort of recognise when you're doing your thing. I think this is the thing for me. I think touring, being a touring star, doing enough TV that my tours sell out and that I can then go away, squirrel away for, you know, eight months and then put a new tour back on sale and go back out. To be honest, this is the thing for me. If it's this forever, I'm thrilled. You have because to. I, because it, it, it's always been about the live stand-up for me. I saw Lee Evans when I was 14, and I think it sort of changed my life. I couldn't believe this small man. I was quite far back, but he is, he's not especially tall. Um, this small guy was, had thousands of people laughing. And I remember thinking, that is a superpower. That's mm. a superpower. And I think the whole time I've just been, it, it's been about me finding an audience that really love what I do and come and feel great after the shows. And so I don't know, I guess if I thought for a while, there's lots of things I'd love to do. I'd love to write a book. I'd love to have, uh, you know, do a doc series at some point. There's loads of things that I'm sure I would get an awful lot of satisfaction out of. But I'll always come back to stand up. Yeah. Because that's where um, it feels the most exciting to me and where it feels, I feel most at home. I feel very confident on stage with a mic. That, that feels normal for me now, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it's become like a comfort blanket because it's like you can sort of step into those shoes and it's like, I, I'm, in, I'm in control of this. I know what I'm doing. I know, yeah. you know like, how it can work. Yeah. And I have literal show shoes. I have shoes that I wear on stage. I have like big clumpy shoes because they make me feel big and strong. And it's like yeah. a, it's like a child thing. <laughs> like I wear these shoes and then I'm strong. Um, but it's um, 
but, but 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 I do I do love it. That's why yeah, it's it is always just a, a joy to be on tour. You get tired, and I miss home. But I'm, but I mean, like to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm not doing a double shift on a maternity ward. You know, it's not like I'm in the NHS. I'm just being a stand up. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Now, what I find incredible, Susie, is you live with anxiety, which for many um, actually freezes their life to such an extent that they kind of stop doing all the things that they love. Um, yeah. and they're kind of paralysed by it. How have you managed to manage yours so successfully? Well, I would say that sometimes it looks more successful than it is because, you know, when you're on TV, you've got <laughs> hair and makeup and someone making you look nice and, and you can practice looking confident. Um, for me, I would say <clears throat> I have to have, like, a creative outlet. And I don't know if anyone is listening or reading this or has anxiety. Like, I just find that writing, even if it's not for anyone else, I find enormously therapeutic. I think exercising really helps me. And um, I, I've done a whole bunch of different things over the years, CrossFit and yoga and Pilates and swimming. I do a bit of sea swimming now. I live in Brighton, um, but or just going for like a really big walk, that really helps me. But I think that, I think that like anxiety, I've still tried to reframe it in a way. I think, and I mean, to be totally honest, this is with the help of a therapist, but I've sort of gone, oh, I think that my anxiety, I don't hate it anymore. I used to really hate the fact that I had anxiety. Mm-hmm. And now I've come to a stage where I'm like, it's okay. It's sort of kept me safe. Maybe maybe it keeps me. Maybe I try too hard to be safe, but it's it's sort of it's okay. I've got you know everything that uh, everything that I've been anxious about, I've survived so far. So it's it's just about being. Um, and, and you know what? I really find that talking about it on stage really helps mm. because when a bunch of people all laugh at the same time, going yeah, me too. I've got a bit about waking my wife up in the middle of the night to tell her my worries, and it gets such a big laugh because I know the people that are anxious are laughing and the people that have anxious partners are laughing. Yeah, and there are so um, many people out there and guys talking about it and being, you know, this megastar on stage and being able to laugh about it, everybody else is saying, oh, my God, it's okay. She's, you know, she's like me, but look at her. She's doing brilliantly, so I can do brilliantly too. Well, I think that's the thing. I think being anxious is quite normal. I mean, I've said it on stage before. If you haven't got anxiety, I don't think you're concentrating. Like, if you live in this world, yes. you know, well, like, the world is, the, 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 the news is unbelievably bleak every day. It's always awful. They don't, they don't share good news because they won't sell papers. Everything is tough. I think it's totally normal to feel completely overwhelmed by that. Yeah. And I think yeah. if people do, it's okay. It's okay to feel like, because, God, it's tough. And so I think talking about it in that respect and, and you know, it, lots of things like having uh, friends and, and, and an amazing partner and distraction always helps my anxiety. I find that it's worse when I've got too much time by myself. And that's why I've always got a book in my bag so I can dip into another world um, or a podcast in my ears so I can go somewhere else for a bit. But that's what I find helps me. Talking about podcasts, you are the host of two hugely popular podcasts. I can't not interview and ask you about those. Uh, <laughs> like-minded friends with Tom Allen and also Ant yes. with your celebrity guests. Just uh, yeah. t- tell our listeners a bit more about those. Yeah, of course. So Like-minded friends is a 
is a weekly podcast between me and Tom Allen. He's one of, the, one of my best friends in the world. Um, I love him to bits. And we catch up every week and we just chat. You are overhearing chit chat. It won't, um, I don't, it, we're, not, we're not taking on big subjects. We're not going to fix the economy. We're not going to do anything about current affairs. We just talk. Sometimes we talk about love. Sometimes we talk about death. We talk about uh, a good colour for a living room. We talk about absolutely everything. And the idea is that you're overhearing two really good friends have a catch up every week. And we've been doing it for about about seven or eight years. We've been doing it a really long time. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes out there. But um, we, 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 we sort of have this fan base that listen every single week that really love it. I think lots of people listen to it when they're by themselves and it feels like there's a couple of friends in the room at the dinner table. We, when we, during the lockdown, we had an enormous spike in our figures. And I think because so many people were by themselves, people used to message us saying, I listen to you when I'm having my dinner at night. It's like I'm at a dinner party. And we just loved that. So we just ran with it. So then people would send in questions of things they wanted us to talk about. And it's, it's become this sort of um, community thing to a degree because people send in their thoughts and send in different things they'd like us to chat about. And then, you know, things will run and run and run. And so that's, that's the one with Tom. And then I have a podcast called Out where I interview inspiring people from the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, the, 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 we just started a new series. <coughs> and uh, the first couple of guests, one is Liv Houston, who is an American actor who's in the series Yellow Jackets, which I loved. And the second episode of the series was Tig Notaro, who is an enormously successful Emmy and Grammy nominated stand-up comedian. But over the years, I've had Alan Carr, I've had Dustin Lance Black, Johanna Shredderbay from Strictly, who I adore. Um, who else? I had obviously Tom Allen, Joe Lysett, uh, Jim Brister, Skin from Skunk and Anty was on it a couple of months ago, which was unbelievably cool. Uh, so, yeah, lots of different people. And then I have also have people that are, are non-famous people. So uh, I've got uh, coming up a... Um, a guy who's the first ever humanist chaplain at a university to talk about what humanism is and how it's really accessible to queer people. And maybe that would be something that I thought my listeners might be interested in. I've got a guest coming up on this series who uh, started youth refugee football teams in the States. And it's sort of changed how young refugees get education in America, which is phenomenal. Uh, and so all these different people from different... Um, world politicians and lots of different people chatting about their experiences and it's not just about being queer it's about um about sort of celebrating who celebrating people's journeys excellent that's a very long answer what kind of job have you got (laughs) sorry just gonna say no i'm interested (laughs) she's a minute oh i like those she was one yesterday (laughs) Oh, is she really cute? Has she got, like, the big eyebrows? Yeah, she looks like a little old man, basically. Yeah, I love that. I love that. My sister-in-law has one of those, and I really like her. Yeah, um, no, she's, that's her way of saying, Mummy, why are you indoors, and I'm out here, and you're not playing with me? What yeah, are you what doing? are you doing? What could you possibly be doing that's more interesting than me? 
I've got a couple of very quick questions for you, Susie, yeah, and I'll let you go because you've been so generous yeah, of with your I'm... time. No, no, no um, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Just describe for our audience where you're sitting right now. What can you see? Okay, I have a very little office at the top of um, at the top of my house. We've got a little extension into the loft, and I've got my little office up here. It is navy blue walls. Um, on the wall, I have two sort of copper pictures um, that are like sort of uh, they're, they're birds in a sort of yeah in like a copper colour. And they were on the wall at my nan's house when I was growing up. When she died, I, I took them, and so they're up. And then I've got a bookcase which has got a whole whole bunch of different books in and lots of my writing books. I've got a poster of one of my tours, which I find a little bit cringe, but my partner did it for me. It was a very successful tour I had a few years ago, and so she thought I should have it up in the room that I write in. And I've got um, a, a couple of bits of, uh, of, of, of like, prints of art, and I've got a to-do list that's quite long that um, <laughs> sometimes, but I'll be honest with you, when I start my to-do list, I always put a couple of things I've already done on it so I can start the list with a couple of ticks. So that's on there <laughs> as well. I'm so glad and, that else does that. <laughs> and do you know what I do actually have? I have the, um, when I did Live at the Apollo, seeing as we've mentioned it, uh, they put your name on the door, just in like a piece of paper that's been laminated, but they stick your name on the door. So it's like the Apollo, Susie Russell, and I stole mine to put on my cork board, so I can see that as well. I think probably everybody steals them, but they just yeah, don't Yeah, almost certainly. If they don't, what are they doing, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point of being there, so you can just steal that and bring that home with you. Tell me three things that you always take with you when you go on tour, and these are just kind of tongue-in-cheek things. They might be your own pillow. Sure. They might be mints in your glove box, whatever. Um, so my makeup, I'm quite specific about the colour red lipstick that I have. I always wear a red lipstick, and so that specific lipstick. Um, I always have my big clumpy shoes, my, my, my Dot Martens. They're different. I have had different ones over the years. At the moment, I've got Dot Martens that are uh, like, arguably too heavy for me, but I wear them every show anyway. And what else do I take? Um, I'm my notebook but that's quite boring oh I'll tell you what I do take I wear I'm quite severely dyslexic and I have um I have glasses that have pink lenses in them mm-hmm. and um I always take them because it makes me read better if I've got them <laughs> and final question now I know that your family and your lovely wife will know this but tell me <laughs> something that we might not know about you it might be a talent that you learnt during lockdown. It might be a, a language that you speak. It might be a hobby that you have that helps you relax. Just something that might we might not necessarily know about Susie Russell. Um, I've recently got into uh, uh, in, into football for the first time in my life, specifically the women's game, and I've just become a fan of Brighton and Hove Albion. And I went and bought a shirt and went to my first match this weekend. Fantastic. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Good luck. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much much for the the Double Bubble interview. I appreciate it. Now, next week, we'll be visiting one of Suffolk's smallest theatres, that's the Quay in Sudbury, for a look around as guests of the writer and director of this year's Cinderella.
We'll also have a review of Dracula, which comes to the Wolsey Theatre this week. Now, if you love comedy fasts, then this is the lighter side of the count, and it's definitely for you. This critically acclaimed multi-five-star award hilarious comedy will be presented by Professor Abraham Van Helsing and his three idiotic actors as they stage a life-changing theatrical production surrounding the true events of Dracula. Will they pull it off? Mm, Highly unlikely. Four actors playing 40 characters and directed by one of the UK's most exciting comedy directors, John Nicholson. Dracula, The Bloody Truth, will make you die laughing, it says. It begins tomorrow on Halloween, that's the 31st of October, and it finishes its run at the Woolsey Theatre on Saturday, the 4th of November. Until next week's episode, you have a great week, won't you? I'm Steph McIntyre. Thanks for listening to the Ruby Shoes podcast. Hope you can join us next week and do check out our socials in the meantime at Ruby Shoes Podcast. <laughs>